Hello sword people, this is your host Guy Windsor and this is the show The Sword Guy. I'm assuming because you're listening to this that you are into audio and specifically audio about swords, sword people, sword training, that kind of thing. So let me draw your attention to the audiobook version of my book The Theory and Practice of Historical Martial Arts. The book has 57 reviews on Amazon at the moment, 79 of which are five star. And if you prefer to absorb things in audio format, you can now get a copy of that book as an audiobook. It is the very first audiobook on historical martial arts ever created, as far as I can tell. It's narrated by Kelly Costigan, who was my guest on episode 32 of this show. And she's done a wonderful job of bringing the book to life. You can find a lengthy sample at guywindsor.net forward slash audiobooks. And of course, if you like the sample, you can go along and buy the book wherever you get your audiobooks from. I should point out that patrons on my Patreon account, patreon.com forward slash the sword guy, at the Cosimo de Medici level and above, get the audiobook for free. So if that's you, please don't go and buy it. You should already have it. And on the subject of my patrons, let me just say here how extremely grateful I am to them all for their continued support of this show. And a special welcome to several new patrons this week. My patrons generally prefer to be anonymous. I don't know why. It's just a thing with them, I think. So I shan't be reading out their names here. But if that was you, thank you very much indeed for your support of the show. Now, without further ado, here is my interview with Beth Hammer. Hello, sword people. This is Guy Windsor, also known as the Sword Guy, and I'm here today with Beth Hammer. Beth is an artist, a swordswoman, uh, a two-hand in Latosa Escrima. She's a founding member of Sword Squatch. You can find her online, of, on Instagram at least, at Mud Skipper Rodeo. And uh, I know Beth because uh, we've trained together in Seattle, and she's uh, hoisted me over her shoulders in a fireman carry despite being about a head shorter than me so um beth and i should we say go way back so without further ado beth welcome to the show hello uh, just so we can orient ourselves um whereabouts in the world are you now i live in seattle washington um which is on the west coast of america if you are unfamiliar with geography and where grunge music comes from <laughs> yeah where grunge music and and many other things like the film sleepers in seattle which is one of my favorite films ever by oh. uh, okay so uh, we know each other through training at lonin is that how you got started in martial arts uh not in martial arts but in swords and uh and came very soon after i started in martial arts so i started um, about six years ago, um, like August, so six and six and a half years ago, um, uh, doing Escrima, which is a Filipino martial art, um, that's focused for everything from, uh, empty hand through knives, sticks, big stabs. Uh, there's a lot of one handed swords, um, and machetes and all of that. And so my partner, Andrew, um, is the head of Seattle Escrima. And so I started going to practices with him and then very quickly started going to all the practices and started going to the, like, there was a weekly private, uh, Escrima practice. 
And then on uh, December 12th, 2016, um, I believe, I think that's how math works. No, can't be 16, yeah, 14, 2014. Um, I started going to uh I, I went there we were doing a a hobbit themed night because one of the movies was coming out um at lonin and i went there and it was a fight night and i got to uh gear up and and fight a couple people and was like i would like to do this now too please um and started going uh to yeah and then just started doing that and then just going to our Sunday fight practice there and, and kind of haven't, haven't looked back. Yeah. I, I, in my head, you're, you're pretty much, um, when I think going, I'm going to Seattle to teach a seminar, I think, ah, and I'll see Beth. Yay! <laughs> like, you're, you're sort of, you sort of become one of the, um, mainstays of the club, but outside of your martial arts life, um, I also know you're an artist and I still have my eye on one of those um, models of Ray from Star Wars. I still have them. <laughs> okay. I just, yes, we need to figure out a way to get it here. Cause of course I am stuck in the UK and you're stuck in Seattle. Um, okay. So what sort of art do you actually do? What are, what are uh, your areas? So I do, like, I really do a little bit of everything, but my, uh, my main sort of focuses are sort of, you know, 2D, like, illustrations, but, like, I, I like to use watercolors a lot um, and markers. But, like, a lot of my finished work is sort of watercolory or, or ink in a watercolor fashion. <laughs> um, and and then sculpture. I do a lot of uh, – sculpture is my favorite because uh, I like touching things. And, uh, and I'll, I'll do a lot of things with um, – you know, small, either Fimo clay, which are polymer clays, which you bake in the, in the oven, like in a regular oven at like 200 degrees. Um, a lot of people, you, you know, it's, it's a very common thing you use with kids, but then, uh, it, if you have more skills, you can, you can take it really far and it's a really fun medium to play in and, um, is pretty forgiving and you, you can like carve things back if you fuck it up and then, use some, you know, liquid polymer clay and then put more clay on and keep going and, and it's great. And then I will often combine that with this other kind of clay. That's a two part epoxy clay and you have two parts and you mix it together and, and then you got about a half an hour and then it hardens all on its own in the same way that like epoxy glue hardens. Um, but it's clay. Um, in England you have milliput. Uh, yes. and I've used that in antiques restoration. Yeah. So it's very unforgiving. It is. That is. Yep. Um, but you can, it's still very sandable. Um, but there's a lot of versions of that kind of clay and then you can, uh, that's, that's really nice for art. And so then that stuff's even, even better. Cause, uh, cause then it's really hard and makes it feel a little fancier and it's heavy. Uh, so when you make, when I do stuff with a lot of that in it, it actually feels like a, you know, feels like more substantial and like, no, I made an art. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah. And then, you know, I like to, I like to paint them and, um, and that's kind of, 
So yeah, I mean, like I do a lot of little people um, and like figurines and characters and and then some weird stuff and like weird monsters and and that's and I like using really bright colors. Yes, I mean I, I've had the pleasure of actually seeing your stuff and and being in the workshop, um, or at least a workshop you were using at the time, and yeah, I, I sort of wished I had a very very large padded bag to take it all home with me. <laughs> oh, thank you. So we'll have to put some pictures in the show notes so people can have a look and see the, see the kind of work you do. Um, so on the one hand, you are hitting people with swords and whacking them with sticks and what have you. And on the other hand, you are making beautiful objects. Do you, do you find there's any kind of connection between those, those two areas? Um, well, I mean, like one of the big ones is that like with any, like both being art, you have to practice. Um, and that, you know, neither of those things are something that you're just good at. Like I have, I am naturally drawn to art and I am naturally drawn to athletic endeavors, but that doesn't mean I, that I'm just, that I'm just good at them magically with my talent. Um, I put a lot of work into both of these things and, uh, and that intentional practice is why I get better and why someone can call me up and be like, I need a giant boot. And I can be like, yes, I can make you a giant boot because I've, you know, made lots of things before and can synthesize some stuff into doing new things now. But it's like, if I didn't have all of that practice that I've been doing for my whole life, uh, I couldn't just like randomly be like, yes, I can make this random object. Um, so I think, you know, it's one of those things that there's memes on the internet all the time that show up in art artist communities of like, it's not talent, it's literally 20 years of dedication. And that that's like dedicated practice is how you get better the end. Yeah. I, I've been quite a few people on here and, and not a few of them are artists and they, they tend to say the same sort of thing. Um, and I've noticed a pattern in that I know some very, very good artists and all of the artists I know say it's mostly practice and any, but anyone who says, no, 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 it's all talent is someone who can't do the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I've never met anyone who can really do the thing who says, Oh yeah, yeah. I just wake up in the morning. And I can just do it. Cause it's just, you know, I have, I have to gift. I have never yet encountered that in a high level performer in any domain. Yeah. Yep. I did that. Um, well, speaking of high level, um, I think the last time I saw you, uh, you hoisted me over your shoulders in a fireman carry for a photo op. And of course, a picture of that is definitely going in the show notes. And we might even use that as like the main picture for the whole episode because it's cool. But, um, those are my favorite pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what's, what's going on with that? Um, basically, I think it's funny because I'm very small. <laughs> uh, and I don't remember who the I don't remember who the first person was, but I know that there's like there's a picture before we painted the loft blue of me holding you know fireman carrying Andrew. Oh, that's why. That's why. Okay. 
Tell us. I believe why the whole situation is... So have you seen the movie um, Ever After? No, I don't think I have. Um, it's a very important movie um, that this is made in 1999 um, with Drew Barrymore uh, as Cinderella. And so it's sort of like a the real story of Cinderella. Um, and in it... Uh, and she's like a peasant and she falls in love with Prince and it's a more like of a romantic period drama. There's a whole thing where they get kid, they get like accosted by gypsies and, and they, they manage to like shout the gypsies down. And then, um, I mean, it's, I'm going to give away a, it's a fun moment, but it's okay. Cause it's worth it. Um, and, and they shout the gypsies down and then they're like, she's a lady. So they're going to let her leave, but he's the prince. So they're definitely going to keep him for ransom. And then she's like trying to pretend to be a noble woman by like being like badass. And she's like, I demand a horse and like, or I demand that you let me go. And that since you've deprived me of my escort, I demand a horse as well. And then the, the gypsy's like kind of like taken aback and like, well, okay, uh, you can have anything you can carry. And, and then she's like, can I have your word on that? And then he's like, yes. And then she picks up the prince and walks away with him. <laughs> um, and then, like, this is all the, yeah, the gypsies are like laughing their asses off, and they let her get like, you know, a hundred yards away um, to kind of, I think, to see how like how far she's gonna make it. And then it's like, and then he's like, "Come back, I'll give you a horse." And then they end up like hanging out with the gypsies all night long, and it's super great, and they have a great time. Um, but so basically, uh, that it is important that one should always be able to carry their partner in case they need to rescue them from gypsies. Um, and so I was proving that I could do that with Andrew, who is six. A lot bigger than you. He's six one and, uh, and very muscly and very strong and quite heavy. <laughs> and so. Yeah, he's a big guy. Um, and, and yeah, so you do it with him. So everything's great. And, uh, and and um and and everyone is and everyone's smaller than Andrew. Actually, uh, the biggest person I've lifted was Brad. Um, he's one of the guys in the nineteenth in the eighteenth century group. Um, who is Mr. White? Yeah, Mr. White. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I know Mr. White. Yes, he, he's he's a big tall guy. I uh, I think it was actually the same night that I lifted you. Um, I picked Brad up, and that one was scary because that was almost like, oh, this might I might fall on the ground with you know gigantic man squashing me um but i did not pick him up <laughs> they were great. um but yeah so then it's like you know that sort of has become a thing and it's really fun and funny and so i do it as often as possible um and for smaller people i found a cool trick which is that you kind of get them i'll do it like all the way from the ground so like kind of like scooch in behind them and like put my head between uh you know, and their legs so that they can sit on my shoulders and then stand up and do squats with them. Um, and that one. Okay. Um, can, can I just make a safety note? Uh, people listening, please don't try this at home. Beth is extremely strong and well-trained in all this sort of thing. And yes, don't try it. The important thing to note is that whatever you think you can lift or whatever you can lift with like weights, like actual lifting weights, um, like reduce that by at least 20% before attempting anything with a human because humans like are wiggly and their weight is in much different places 
then like, you know, the whole thing with weightlifting is that you can get the weight as close to the center of your body as possible. Um, and that becomes much more difficult with a whole human. Um, and so like you can, you can think smaller than what you can really do. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, which apparently in your case includes Andrew and, uh, Mr. White. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's like the, the, like fireman carries are awesome. Cause like they're kind of designed to like be easy so that you can carry someone out of a fire. But it's like, if they're standing, uh, it's, it's pretty easy. Cause it actually ends up only ends up being like about sort of, it's just like a little bit of bending your knees and then standing straight up. So it's not as far. Like if you then walk around with them, it gets harder. Um, but it's a, it's a fun, it's just fun. It's really fun. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Now the last time I saw you, it was at sword squatch, which for those listening who are not familiar, uh, is an event, uh, kind of a, a sword fighting convention that is held, uh, in, in any good year it is held, uh, in Seattle. Um, and it has the extraordinary distinction of being literally the only event I have ever been to for which I bought a special pair of purple sparkly unicorn underwear, which gives you some idea of the flavor of the event. And yes, I will, <laughs> I will put a picture of the underwear in the show notes. I will not be wearing the underwear in, uh, in the picture. I will just post a picture of the, underwear itself because it'll give you the flavor of the event more than anything else but put the underwear on over a pair of pants and then took the picture but that would look like i was trying to be superman and failing miserably so <laughs> i don't i don't think i'm gonna go with that um so um what what is it what is it like trying to organize an event like that uh it is a tremendous amount of work um and that we all like love doing and uh, but basically we like the event is like the second weekend of uh, September It's the weekend after Labor Day. So depending on how the calendars work, um, but and then we start planning in January uh, and pretty intensely. Um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that like happens to happen right away. And then there's like, you know, and, and all that. But like we, you know, just put a, like having, you know, all of us have sort of attended events that have had a lot of hiccups or a lot, or just were a complete disaster. And, uh, you know, and, and then some, some good ones that, that do have good practices that we've like borrowed some things from. And, and so like we, you know, put a lot of pride and effort into trying to make this event run as smoothly as possible. And like, and the way that you do that is by over planning from the beginning so that stuff is, so that then when it comes to the day of the event, it just runs itself, uh, ideally. Uh, and uh, we also have an amazing volunteer team that gets, that does so much work and, you know, as for, and day of stuff like are really hands-on and really put a tremendous amount of, of love and effort into making things run smoothly so that we can have this be like this really amazing sort of destination event for people to come to that they then can just sort of relax and hang out and have fun and put in a lot of hard work and do a lot of learning and not have to worry about going and finding food or dealing with, 
you know, or having to be spontaneously called up to judge a tournament. Uh, and, uh, and so like all of that comes from, you know, this, this planning and us, and then we have a really good dedicated team, um, that, you know, we, you know, everyone is very good at what they do and also is doing this on top of day jobs. Um, and which is part of why we have to start so early so that we can have, you know, we can get all the hours needed into it. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, and like part of the team is, you know, and one of the things that's really fun is when we come up with like new wacky ideas to do. Um, cause one of the things that's like a really important value for us for sword squatch is that we keep innovating. Um, and, and that we don't just keep doing the same thing. Partially, you know, half of us are very ADHD. So the idea of doing the same thing over and over again would not work very well. Um, but you know, we want to keep pushing the boundaries and keep, and keep trying to experiment with things and see if they work and, um, you know, and then keep improving on them. Uh, and, and, you know, expanding what we think of as, you know, historical martial arts or, or what gets included in that. Um, one of the things that we've been really, uh, excited about to, I think this is basically the third year of it, um, of having Damon Stith come out. Um, and then last year, uh, I could, we also had, Another guy that I'm going to be a jerk and not remember his name, but uh, Hill is his last name. But um, both guys from uh, uh, the sort of Hama community and the, the historical African martial arts community. Um, and, oh, and, and incidentally, on we're, we're recording this uh, in the week of the, I think this is the 23rd of um, November. And Damon is appearing on this podcast um this friday so <laughs> um, so so i guess um if you're listening to this and you want to have a get a clear idea of what african martial arts are like if you scroll back through the podcast list there'll be a, it'll be about eight episodes back um and you'll you'll find them on there so you can you can you can hear hear it from the source what african martial arts are really like yay yeah that's very yeah um, like yeah he's done you know, a ton of really wonderful scholarship and, and is, you know, is doing a lot of research and, um, and then is an excellent teacher and is doing a really exciting job of sharing that and being able to have him start to come out. And, you know, hopefully in, when we get to do an in-person event again, we'll be able to, um, bring, bring more and different people out from that community to start to continue spreading that. Um, and then like, you know, other just kind of like just being a little broader in our scope than just Europe. Yeah. Uh, and one of the, one of the things I really noticed at the last event is you had times set aside specifically for debut instructors who were, um, you know, teaching at an event like that for the first time and they had a short slot so it wasn't too intimidating for them and they could, and I saw some really, really cool stuff. Um, Isaiah doing 
Fabris in heels being the one that yeah. stands out. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty amazing. Yeah, that was one that, um, like the the workshops that like really succeeded were really um, were wonderful and and excellent. That's that's a place that we might like be reworking in the future because some of the ways that we um, sort of reached out to people, like I think again, um, it's too early for me to remember names. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, the, the one that did the Fabris and Heels, um, Isaac, Isaiah. 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 Um, that Isaiah did a really incredible job. And James Shue um, also had a lot of fun. And I believe Claire was the other one. Um, but I think there's there's more stuff that I'd love to do in terms of, um, you know, like one of the things that we've talked a lot about is doing more teaching opportunities with, you know, for like teaching how to coach and stuff. And like, I keep wanting to do a workshop workshop. Um, but like there's, you know, sort of, you know, there's limits to how much you can, you know, like there, that takes some, definitely some hands-on, um, some really hands-on effort in terms of the coaching and like being able to find someone who is willing to do that. Cause I think it takes some like prep before the event as well. And like, just, but like figuring out how to do more teaching opportunities for new coaches um, that, uh, that like will be, that, that will fit into an event like Sword Squatch, um, and be still fun and exciting and not, you know, cause what wouldn't work is a five hour intensive thing because we're trying to do too many, like one of the things that we really like that we can do with Sword Squatch is that we can have. 20 instructors <laughs> and right. it's uh and like you're getting this like crazy buffet of everything and yeah, i was gonna say it's like a tasting menu yeah um and the hope is that you know it gets people excited about you know digging into things more and and learning more about it and maybe or, or just incorporating new tools into like their fighting style um and and that, so it's like, uh, and it's, it's a pretty fast paced event. And so having something that's like really like a really big deep dive may not fit as well. And that's a thing that we're kind of constantly sort of talking about and trying to balance and figure out of like, how is all of this stuff going to fit together? And like, and, and that's all really intentional and that we put a lot of thought into. Yeah. I mean, and there's certainly a place for like a three day intensive deep dive into, I don't know, Fury Longsword or Small Sword or whatever else. Um, but there's also very much a place for seeing the breadth of the arts available and, and that kind of um, interdisciplinary cross-pollination between uh, experts in different fields who may not have really seen their each other's fields before and see something I mean, you might see something in an African martial arts workshop that makes you go, holy crap, that play in, I don't know, Lithenau Longsword, that uh, may be that, and, and you realize that you've maybe, you know, you, it just is, you get to see yeah. uh, connections and things that maybe you didn't see before. Absolutely. Um, I mean, like, is, there, are, there are so many events out there and that, you know, like this in particular does like really deep dives on stuff and like has these like, cohesive tracks and 
Um, one of the things in the last few years that we've been really trying to focus on just as event organizers is that we're not going to do anything we don't want to do. And, yeah. and like really, which something like we have to remind ourselves about that a lot because it's like, you know, wanting, cause we want to make everyone happy and have a really amazing time. But then we have to like, remember that we are the ones that have to do it. And, and if we're doing stuff like for the wrong reasons, it doesn't work because we don't, we're not, we have such a limited amount of time that we don't, we can't like really put a full effort into it. And that, you know, the places where we've had missteps are always because we didn't really want to do it. And so. Okay. Can like, you give me an example? Um, well, I can give you like a positive example, which is that we didn't want to do a cutting tournament ever because we've seen so many terrible ones. Um, and, and that it's a really, it's a huge time suck. And, and it's really, and like, there's actually quite a fairly few amount of people that like want to participate in it uh, in terms of, it's a very like a limited, uh, I mean, I guess it's maybe not a few, because we've had pretty good turnout, but, um, but still like, it's not something that we as organizers have wanted to do, but, uh, and so we just didn't. And then finally, and then two years or like the last regular sword squatch, we, Matthew Roche, um, was like, I really want to, I really want to run a turn, a cutting tournament because he loves it. Yeah. Um, and, and so he put all the effort, he was like, cool, if you want to run this, like we will give you the time and space and we will get supplies and we will advertise it. Um, and so he came up with this whole system, um, that he wanted to use and try and experiment with and some really cool, um, different, not just cutting to Tommy um skill checks um like cutting like very precision spots on a rope um and and so a bunch of that stuff that was like like and it was amazing and really incredible and and super super cool and something that we actually would like to probably continue doing if we can um if there are volunteers that want to keep doing it um but like that was you know an example of just like we waited until there was a reason to do it and then it worked. <laughs> and it yeah. So, so when, when you have somebody who, who, who really wanted that thing to happen and was willing to put the work in, you provide the space for it, but there was until there was that person and there was no point doing it. Yeah. Makes yeah. sense. Um, and like, and you know, our, the Sunday tournament is sort of one as well that, uh, we, it was kind of as an idea the first year was because the the 19th century group were like trying to include them, make sure that we included them because there's a lot of focus on longsword, but like the, you know, Victorian group is a really huge part of our club and like kind of the like quiet core of the club. Like that's kind of why it exists. Cause I mean, like that's Neil's baby. And, uh, and so like, they're really important, but they also kind of like want to do their own thing, but we also wanted to make sure that they like were a part of it. So like we had time and space, like time set aside on Sunday for them to do like a, a back sword tournament or something. And then have sort of continued with like the Sunday space is like for like other, other peeps, but like they have to run it. So like the year we did rapier, like the people that were really into rapier ran that tournament and then for the sword and buckler year, like Alex ran that tournament. And, and then one of the years we like some stuff fell through and we didn't 
we were going to do like a foam fighting thing, but then like that fell apart. And so we just were like, I guess we're just going to have open sparring space. And it was great. And yeah, and then actually, like, resulted in like, oh, we're going to actually, this is important, having some empty space so that people can like grab an instructor and go and ask questions um, was a really valuable thing. And so that's like moving forward, we're going to try to make sure that we can have that space or spaces like that available so that you can work through um, a specific question or or mess around with a thing that you just learned and try to like hone that in. Um, and, and that that was, you know, having a little bit more empty spaces is important so that like you can process some things. Um, and so that was a, you know, we didn't have, we weren't, we, we didn't have a thing to fill. So we didn't try and then ended up finding a new important thing for the event. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and that sort of unstructured time is super important. Um, and, and for example, at WMAW, the Western Martial Arts Workshop that's held biannually in Racine, Wisconsin, I've been to um, many of them, and one of the best innovations they had was a half-hour passing period between classes, which yeah. meant that there was time. If you've just taken a great class with someone, you don't dash off to the next great class. You might grab the person you were training with in that previous class and go, oh, can we just go over that move again a bit? And you end up chatting and, and doing stuff. And it just, just deliberately creating space for, un, which is unstructured is uh, super important. Yeah. And definitely something we're going to, we're going to have passing periods next time, I promise. Um, oh, no, no, that that, that was that's no, okay. That's what I do, what I do is 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 I only ever take, um, you know, I only take alternate classes. So I always I always leave a passing period for myself anyway. That is so, that is a good idea. Yeah, I mean that's kind of what we sort of were, you know, it's like well, people are adults; they can regulate their own stuff, and then, yeah. and then kind of well, you forget when everything is shiny and exciting. Um, and or people just walk in late and it's like so that's a thing that we actually you know probably took a, a little too long to to really embrace but like we'll be doing in the future is like having more space in between um so that people can like actually end up getting more out of it and it's like you know if we have three fewer classes over the course of the day uh then that like makes it that's okay <laughs> Yeah, we're still doing a ton of stuff. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely no shortage. Yeah. Um, okay, now I understand you're mostly doing Bohurt these days. And um, I'm guessing that most of the listeners probably aren't really familiar with Bohurt and Battle of the Nations and what have you. And seeing as you do it quite a bit, would you mind sort of explaining what it is and telling us about it? Yeah, so uh, Bohurt is it's like the... First off, it's a that is a word. Um, it's like the medieval French word for melee. So it's just we're we're just it's called melee, but in old. Um, and and basically, uh, it is a sort of sportified thing that um, was sort of in the modern context started in in Russia, and they started doing a lot of it, and then it's expanded to the rest of the world. Um, and it's only been going for about I guess for I think 10 years. This is, yeah, this is the 10th anniversary or last year was the 10th anniversary of uh, 
Battle of the Nations, that tournament. Um, so it's a pretty new sport. Anyway, so basically you put on um, full steel armor that's historically accurate, and it actually is required to be within not only uh, from the, you know, 14th, 15th, 15th century, uh, but that it's also uh, within 50 years of itself. So you can't have a piece from 1400 and a piece from 1500. Like oh, wow. it, it all has to be particularly for battle of nations in particular. There's also another league that has much more lax historical accuracy. Um, but, but for battle of nations, it has to be within 50 years of itself, all of your armor and, and it's either steel or titanium, um, which is much, much lighter. And given that we're all, modern humans that's actually a pretty big deal also for the women it's a pretty big deal because if your armor is 50 percent of your body weight that's a hard time but if you can get it down to a much lower percentage you can actually fight like you can actually fight um but uh our helmets are still full always full steel and full like accurate period weight because there's they're heavy for a reason and it's so you don't get your like head knocked around, like the weight of the helmet is part of the protection. Um, yeah. It absorbs the energy yeah. of the blow. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so you put on, you put on all this armor, um, and then you take out blunted weapons that are axes and swords and halberds and shield. And then you beat the shit out of each other. And it's awesome. Uh, <laughs> But the, in terms of the actual rules of the game, um, you there's no stabbing um, at all because you're using pretty stiff weapons. And um, for reasons that I disagree with, um, they, the historical accuracy of having just the, the slotted uh, eye slots on the helmets is, is the priority to putting, like, perf steel behind it. But um, so there's no stabbing. Okay, yeah, so just to be clear to anybody listening who's not familiar, so then they're not allowing perforated steel plates to see through to protect the eyes so that the eyes are actually exposed through these slits, just as they would have been in medieval times. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's that's the dumbest part of it, but um, other than that. But it's like also there's not a whole lot of getting stabbed. Like people don't – it's not like a huge common injury, so I guess it's okay. Um, like it really is I mean, rare. What is the safe, Yeah. What is the safety record like? Um. I mean, concussions are the, probably the worst. Um, and you know, but like, but also even that is like, you know, it's not necessarily that much higher than, than football. Um, and most of the injuries come from like competition, not necessarily like if you're training well, you can, um, uh, that like you can, you can do that with and mitigate injury. Um, but like, you know, then you get like weird, you know, you get a lot of bruising. Um, and, you know, and then there's some, you know, weird, like in the same way with HEMA, like you get weird hand breaks, even through gauntlets and, uh, you know, and it's like very, you know, very similar injuries to football um, and sort of at similar rates. You mean like American football? Yeah, American football. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then as far as, uh, so if you're in a competition, you can like, it's teams of anywhere from three to like 26, um, the sort of standard, the common sizes are fives, um, 10 or 12, and then like 15 or 20. 
Um, and that all of those different sizes have very different strategies for how you play and how you fight. Um, and then how you get people out, because obviously you're not stabbing them, um, is that uh, you sort of get them on the ground and anything other than their feet are touching the ground. Um, so it's very, there's a lot of wrestling, but there's also, you know, using striking uh, to, uh, to, to bang people up a little bit and soften them up and like make them want to go down. Um, so hang on. So the only so the only winning condition is getting the person on the ground. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's that's basically it. Um, it's super fun. And for me, one of the things that was really really exciting about when I finally got to start doing it because I, you know, I had known about it for probably a year or so before I started before I finally was able to start doing it. Um, but when I finally did, it was like, yeah, no, this is this, this is what I want to be doing. Um, uh, cause I've done a whole lot of wrestling, um, like, because all fighting is wrestling. And so like having that foundational skill is really important to, to, to HEMA as well. And so had that. And then also with all of the work that I've done in Eskrima and the empty hand stuff and, um, and, and single hand sword things like that was it like really pulled all of these things that I've been doing into one sport that also was like nerdy um, and not just MMA. Uh, and so that was like so exciting. And like, I was like pretty good right off the bat uh, in like, because I just had all the skills already. Cause I'd been working on them through, through these other disciplines and, um, and have been able to, you know, like, and have done really well in it, uh, because of, because of all that. And so it was like, it was just really exciting and really fun way to pull it all together. And that like, I like being able to be rowdier and have, and play <laughs> tech sport and like, you know, he read, why, why am I not surprised, Beth? <laughs> why am I not surprised? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, Hema, like, is what it is. And, you know, and that is less, like, is is more controlled and is, like, you know, has has very different standards. And that's perfectly fine. Um, and, and I really enjoy getting to not have those limits. Um, and I like getting to kick, this is Sparta kick people, you know, through a fence. Um, <laughs> Spart this is Sparta kicking people through. I'm writing that down to put it in as maybe the headline to the show notes. <laughs> yeah. When we, we had a, we did, went to a tournament down in Aguas Calientes in Mexico, which was really super fun. Uh, last, uh, November, like for a day of the dead, it was actually a, is a part of a day of the dead festival. Um, and one of the matches, I kicked like three people like the, so the list, there's like a, a wooden fence, like a sturdy wooden fence. Um, but this particular fence didn't have a lower rail. So it's basically this, and it, it was like the taller rails so that it's harder to push people over the top of them. Um, and then risk some pretty interesting, very, dangerous injuries to like necks and heads if you fall on your head with 60 pounds of armor on um so they're tall enough now so that you can't push a six foot guy over it but what you can now do very easily is kick a five foot three woman under it um 
because you get them backed up against the fence and then you kick them in the stomach and they just fold up and go out and then they're out. <laughs> Three times. That, that, that is ever. so you. and yeah you're not allowed to do that in um sort of tournament longsword in in the modern hema world no definitely not not allowed at all which is well okay in any tournament i run kicking is allowed but but yes we don't tend to kick people through things because we're not wearing the equipment for it but um yeah (laughs) okay so so i so that so i really you know, like that's like we're talking about all the really brutal stuff about the sport, which is fun for me. I really enjoy it. And that's part of why I like it. One of the other really important things that I really like that is in like sort of silliness aside, uh, the team aspect of it is really, really important for me. And um, the like I have I'm on a really amazing team with a really, really incredible group of women. and like one, not only is our on field teamwork really neat, but like our off the field support of each other is like amazing. Um, and you know, and but like getting to, you know, cause I played soccer, like football, soccer, then no, that's the R word. Um, anyway, so I played soccer growing up. And so like team sports have always been a really big, important thing for me. So like getting to have that back with fighting has been really really cool and there's like but there's so much really interesting strategy that comes from like working with another person um you know and then and this last year the last couple years of like getting to like talk and work more um together as a team and like i've stepped up into a pretty major coaching role for this so that we're starting which has made a huge impact on the team because like there's been a lot of you know like the other guys in the sport doing a lot of the coaching and then since I've come on board, I've been able to really shift that. And so now we're coaching ourselves. Um, and that's made a really incredible advancement in, in our learning because now, like, you know, you can learn something from a guy who is, you know, six one and a hundred pounds bigger than you. But, and in HEMA, there's more you can, there's more ability to exchange that information and have it work because it get, because it is less physical. It's, it's, le- well, it's less about size and strength and yeah. mass. But when yeah. I'm trying to talk about literally how do I wrestle a person to the ground without falling down myself, like there's, it's, you can learn the things from the guys, but it's very difficult to practice with them because I'm never, like yeah. there aren't, I mean, there's, well, there's like two or three six foot women in the sport, but even still a six foot tall woman is still, their mass is a little bit different than yeah. six foot tall, very muscly guy. And so there's a lot of things that have be, that are really important about women being able to coach women. And in terms of like how we learn and how, um, you know, right. and so, so when you compete, are you competing women against women? Yes. Uh, For the most okay. part. There are definitely, there are a few, circumstances where there'll be co-ed matches which are pretty great um but for the most part um and particularly at like the national and international like the highest level competition it's all segregated okay and so um you go on the field and you work as a team to get everyone else on the opposing team onto the ground and then whichever team still has people standing at the end as one is that how it works yep 
Okay. Cool. And yeah, so I, I imagine that being able to, you know, work as a team and coach yourselves and your coach being also a woman, understanding what it's like to be on the field and how to take down women particularly with, I think, do women tend to have a lower central gravity than men? Uh, That's generally true? Oh, yes. It's sort, of, it's sort of what I would guess. And the armor, the armor will bring everybody's central gravity up a bit because most of the most of the metal is above the waist. Correct. Okay. Cool. So, so you're you're training with your your team, and what are your sort of team tactics like? Um, like it's definitely a lot of like you know figuring out how to work to work. Largely, it's about working in pairs, um, because uh, it's much easier. You know, much like in in regular wrestling, when you're just wrestling with one person, your goal is to put as many of your muscles against the smallest amount of their muscles. So two having two whole people against one whole person um, definitely does that. Um, and so it's a lot of stuff like how do we, uh, how do you communicate with, you know, if you're trying to wrestle one person to the ground, if you're both pulling in opposite directions, you're just going to get tired. Um and so learning a lot of, uh, you know, getting a common language and uh, so that we can do things like you're pushing and pulling or you're, you're giving them something to trip over and like, and then the other person can push their face and then make them fall down. And so, and things like that, or like, how do you get people off the fence? Um, and, or this cool one of like, we get our whole team, like you wedge in and like, grab one, you know, cause there'll be this thing where like everyone gets up against the fence and it's real irritating, but this, you know, technique where you like, you're, you're both along the fence and then the people at the front grab the person, their person at the front, pull them back and stuff. And then, and then the people behind do the dispatching and then rinse and repeat and just like suck the whole team in, <laughs> um, you know, and things like that, or like, you know, open field plays of like when, to make cuts um, and, you know, sort of do some distraction on the left side of the field. And then one person runs over to the right side of the field. So then they like, they can, you know, split things up and like break through the line and get in their backfield and, um, and sort of plays like that. <laughs> sounds, sounds like a huge amount of fun. Yeah. Um, so your armor, are you steel or titanium? Uh, most of my armor is titanium, my helmet's steel, and then like my knee, uh, knee cops and elbows are all steel because you want those to be a little more protected. So, so the steel is, is better at the armor job than titanium? Uh, it's like yes and no. It's just like it's a little, uh, or it's like, I mean, basically it's like you want steel over the bony parts and then you can use titanium on the squishier parts. Um, oh, okay. So my thighs just need to not get cut. Um, like I actually don't, <laughs> I don't wear any padding under my thigh armor. It's just like a teeny piece of, of titanium. Um, and it's fine. Uh, same with like my, you know, the stuff for my upper arms is like, pretty light. I mean, although my, I'm wearing a padded gambeson, so it, the arms are way more padded, but, um, but yeah, so it's just, uh, that. And then the, the, my coat of plates, um, it's like a 
kind of like the brigandine style. So it's segmented plates that are all riveted to a soft, um, or sort of to, to fabric and then buckled on. Um, so they overlap and stuff, but like, it's still like you can move and bend a lot. Um, and it's, you know, you can do a somersault, uh, and, and have full freedom of movement to do that. So it's pretty cool. Okay. That, that is very cool. Um, so I, I'm not familiar with titanium armor. I mean, I've, I've worn steel armor plenty, but, um, so where do you even get it from? Uh, so you can make it yourself, which I actually, uh, well, okay. You can make it yourself. I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's really not that hard. If you have, you mean, you need the, some of the right tools, which is basically just you need the ability to cut it. Um, and then an angle grinder and, uh, a metal hole punch, which you can get pretty easily. And then, and then just rivets. Um, but you can basically Russia and the Ukraine is where you get a lot of the titanium armor. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's not, I mean, like, it's not, uh, it is an expensive hobby, but like, as far as, you know, in terms of the, the range of thing of what you can spend on that, the titanium stuff is not like massively more expensive. Um, it's a little more expensive, but it's still, you know, um, and so you can, you can order that from the Russia and Ukraine. Um, and there's a few people here in the United States that do the titanium stuff, but, um, there's, uh, there's also guys here that do only steel armor, um, but like spring steel and stuff like that. Uh, so, so yeah, you can just buy it, but you can also like, you can literally bend a piece of titanium with your hands, um, or like a little bit of metal, like hammer and, uh, you know, shaping and, and that's, that's it. Okay. So yeah, it, cause titanium is sort of built out to be this sort of special, amazing metal that you can do amazing things with. Um, and so I sort of assumed it would be very difficult to work. I guess if you don't need to heat treat it, then. Yeah. Like there's definitely a, a limit to how much you can do with just cold shaping. Um, and it's definitely, it's very difficult to get complicated, like complex curves. Um, but like I made my coat of plates cause it's all sort of just little square pieces. Yeah. It's just a bunch of little square pieces and you, you know, like literally bend it with your hands or, you know, get a hammer and a stump and, and cause it's only needing to basically dish or like bend it like a bowl. Um, and, uh, and then you just, and then you just rivet it together, um, put buckles on it. Uh, but then the, you can do like, uh, heat treated, you know, like heated up sort of shaping, but that's like, you need a lot of equipment for it. And that's what they do in Russia. I was, I was actually thinking of, um, like, uh, because when when you heat treat steel, you you make it both hard and tough. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think you can do that with most titanium, can you? Like it depends. I mean, I I don't really know. I don't have enough okay. knowledge to really talk about that. I just know that they you can make fancy shapes in Russia. <laughs> okay, fair I enough. You make simple shapes. <laughs> <laughs> so, how close do you think it would be to? the sort of, should we say, knightly martial sports that they were playing in, say, I don't know, 15th century France. Yeah, so that's, like, it's it's pretty close. Like, this is kind of, 
in terms of historic, like, and, and that's the thing is that like a lot of the times when you have like the, you know, like, a, like a knight's tale, the movie, like that was real. Like they did that stuff. Um, and then also by the time they were doing that stuff, like they were fighting wars differently. And like, that was a sport. Like that was like, you know, a sport, a nostalgic sport that they were doing even then. Um, and, uh, so, I mean, so there's a lot of ways that it like, it is totally similar to what they were actually doing. Um, and you know, if we're looking at it in a like historical medieval, you know, like re recreating historical arts sort of way, like that's, that's what they were doing. They sportified this version of hitting each other and, and then we're playing it as a sport. Um, sure. Yeah. I, I've often thought that there's, there's a lot of probably useful information to be got. Um, in the same way, every, every environment we train in is offers, has strengths and weaknesses and can teach us some things, but not others. And I think there's, there's a lot to be said for, um, a whole load of people all wearing armor actually trying to hit each other and get each other on the ground it does strike me as 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 probably as close as we can get in the modern world to an actually medieval melee type context without people getting killed yeah uh and it's it was real cool <laughs> sure. but it's really really fascinating and really interesting you know like i've also gotten to go um to penzik and participate in those battles, um, which is like. So just to explain what Penzik is for people who might not know. Um, Penzik is uh, one of the large is the largest SCA event, and the SCA is the Society for Creative Anachronisms. And in the in the there are so many ways that people have come up with to hit each other with stick or with sword shaped objects. Um, this is just one of, them, and it's using. Uh, arm you're you're full you, you wear a lot of armor um some of it can be plastic i just wear my bowherd armor because it's conditioning and it's you know which is interesting when you're going up with against someone that's wearing the least amount of armor that they're allowed to wear and it's all plastic um uh, okay. and here my you know 60 pounds of stuff um or 45 pounds of stuff um but it's uh and then they use rattan weapons um, and then it's like one hit and you're out, but, uh, it's still like getting that many people on a field. Cause there's like battles with like 500 on a side and the big open field battle, um, is, is very different than say at battle of nations two years ago when they did, uh, 150 people on a side, but with steel weapons. Um, uh, and there's, you know, which is a very different tactic from when you're doing battles with 20. Um, or battles with 12, which is like early and the, and battles with five, like they're all very, very different strategies and participating in the way that you fight in all of those is really like, is a really cool mental exercise and is really cool. Like thinking about strategy and learning about that. And, uh, and it's not, you can't get that anywhere else. Cool. Okay. Um, now, there are a couple of questions that I tend to ask all my guests. And um, the first is, what is the best idea you haven't acted on? 
Um, uh, uh, actually setting up my uh, coaching Patreon. Okay. Uh, that's the thing that I've been thinking about now for a couple months and I'm still working on. And by working on, I mean, I've been thinking about it. I haven't, I've gotten a little bit down on paper, but, um, that's, that's, here's a thought for you, Beth. It's the 23rd of November today. And this, um, this show is going to be going out, uh, in January. So if you're going to get it done in December, Mm. tell me the link and we can like mention it on the show. Cool. Yeah. So I'm thinking about starting a coaching Patreon. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Which would be, uh, yeah. I mean, what 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 would you be? um, What would the coaching Patreon do? I mean, what what's what are you raising the money for doing? So it's. there's a little it's there's a little bit of it being a bohurt focus but also um very much like would be useful for Hema as well in terms of what cuz it's like wanting to do sort of customized um coaching feedback either for individuals or for teams um or and also for for coaches um and people running classes and being able to offer support for that um and and like individual, like one-on-one, you know, Zoom calls and coming up with drills and lesson plans that people can use. And, and that's kind of like the base idea. And then seeing, you know, if it evolves into more. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Well, I, I, if, if you do get it done before the show goes live, just send me the link and I'll put it in the outro. Um, so people can, and also of course in the show notes. So, um, so people who are listening to this can find it. Neat. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, right. Of course. Yeah. Um, okay. So my last question, someone gives you a million dollars to spend improving historical martial arts. How would you spend it? Um, well, my, my first answer would be buy everyone squishy mats so that they can wrestle. Um, I think that one of the, you know, I am a massively huge advocate for wrestling and that it makes all of your fighting better, that it's, it's there in the text, uh, Fiore starts with it, the whole fighting is wrestling. And, and if we think about things from a historical context, like everyone wrestled, you wrestle as soon as you can crawl and keep wrestling for like your like ev- the baseline level of physical understanding and strength and and a sense of your body like starts really early and everyone wrestled they didn't have tv all they had was wrestling um and uh, well, and church they had, they had church as well they yeah wrestling church and church. wrestling um okay. and you know or doing very physical labor and that that's a thing that is you know people want to be able to think that they can just learn it out of a book, but like the, there's like this baseline physical language that isn't in the textbook because everyone had it. And the only way that you can get it is by wrestling. And so 
uh, giving people more opportunities to wrestle would be the, I think to me, the biggest like meaningful improvement to the sport. Uh, yeah. And, and it goes back, it goes back even way, way older. I mean, I was interviewing Damon Young, the philosopher, um, also uh, just last week, actually. And he mentioned that Plato get got his name. That's basically that, that was his wrestling nickname. Yeah. Right, Dwayne which is like as Plato. <laughs> oh my God. So good. <laughs> right. So, so, I mean, wrestling has been a foundational part of physical culture in Europe dating back to the ancient Greeks and probably before. So, yeah, I, I think, I think you're onto something there. So you would, you would spend the money basically equipping historical martial arts places with mats so they could learn to wrestle. Yeah. Um, also, the other one would be investing in better um, mask technology because we need to stop wearing fencing masks and we need to wear more appropriate things for hitting people in the head and not oh, car antenna, um, which is what those masks are intended for. Uh, so that's that's the other big thing would be that safety improvement. I think there's plenty of safety, like there's plenty of stuff in terms of protecting our hands, like just wear steel gauntlets, guys. Um, yes. Oh God, hallelujah. Yes. Oh yeah. Why are people trying to make the special high tech gauntlets when they fixed this problem 500 years ago? Yeah. Like, and you can get really good articulation with like, and they're not that heavy and right. like lift a weight. And if they fit, if yeah. they fit, they're not very big. They're not very heavy. And they really, really work much better than any, anything made of plastic is ever going to work. Yep. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think, like a lot of that comes from like the weird goal of trying to not look like the SCA, but like guys were playing with swords. It's okay. It looks like we're yeah, playing. And, and a lot of, a lot of tournaments for some reason have decided to not allow steel gauntlets. And I think the excuse or the rationale behind it is something along the lines of, um, it's dangerous. You could scratch each other or something like that. I, well, I really don't understand like, it, but, but a lot of you are hitting people with your steel gauntlets and it's like most tournaments don't allow punching and also you can right. strike like, right. And yeah, in either case, you're not supposed to be hitting hard enough to give someone a concussion anyways. Also, we should have better helmets. Um, yeah. So yes, I think that there's a lot of, it's a, there's like some weird circular logic that doesn't, or like that it doesn't, it's it's not relevant. Just use steel gauntlets yeah. and wear better helmets. <laughs> you know, I I tell you what I use. I use steel gauntlets I've had now for about fifteen years, and they're brilliant. And they cost me about two hundred and fifty dollars. But I'm lucky. I have my hands are very small, but they are just big enough to fit the smallest gauntlets that are com commonly made. So wow. I kind of got very lucky there. Yeah. But I also I paid a chunk of money to Terry Tyndall back when he was making his his long sword masks and they have a suspension system in them yeah which means you can take w one hell of a hit to the head and nothing bad happens um and yeah i mean they're not as protective as a full you know full medieval helmet which you know, sits on your shoulders and is completely encapsulating yeah there are there are better head protections available but as a kind of compromise between a fencing mask and full armor 
They are absolutely fantastic. But unfortunately, he's not making them anymore. Well, no, you can get it from horse bows because I just got. Okay. Yeah. You can't. He's not personally making them, but there's um, another company that is. Um, I recently got one. Um, I still haven't. I need to like get it more fitted and I haven't been doing anything this year for reasons. Um, but, sure. uh, but yeah, like the, the, uh, it's like horsebows.com. Um, okay. just making sure that I'm getting this, like, yeah, that, that sounds right. Yeah. Like, like bow and arrow bows. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and you can get them there. And then there's also like, through several different companies now, there are several options available now um, for steel fencing masks um, or metal fencing masks that like peeps get it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yes. Fencing masks are great for, for fencing yeah. as in sport fencing for which they have, they were designed many years ago and they do a wonderful job of it. Yeah. Yes. They are not, they're just not designed to, to deal with uh, eyeballs. Um, yeah, also, like, within the next, hopefully within the next couple years, um, the only reason we're not doing it like right away is just because of wanting to phase it in since it is pretty radical. But like for sword squash, again, within the next couple of years, we're going to start requiring people wearing right, like metal fencing masks. Um, yeah. Okay. And, and that's a thing that we're just going to do. And, uh, somebody has to, yeah. So if you want to compete at sword squash, like you're ready, if it's time to get a new mask, like get something that actually works and get, just, just start getting steel masks. Yeah. I, yeah. A long time ago, I took a fencing mask and I put it on the pal and I had my students attack it with medieval weapons and it failed catastrophically. And we, we keep it in the sal so that when beginners get their safety briefing, and we do use fencing masks a lot for like careful training and, you know, pair drills, you know, which is fine because they, they are more than capable of handling that. They just can't take the, the, the kind of the more intense kind of strikes you get in competition. Um, but we show them the fencing mask. We say, look, you wear the mask so that your partner can actually make contact. The mask will not protect you if they choose to actually really hit you. So, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a critically important lesson. So your, but your, your million dollars would go on wrestling mats. Yep. Okay. That's actually, that's, that is a first on this show. And I'm delighted that, that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you came up with something completely original. That's excellent. Everyone gets a wrestling mat. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you heard it here first, people. Um, get yourselves wrestling mats. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining me today, Beth. It's been a delight. Yeah, it was wonderful talking. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Beth Hammer. As you could tell, I certainly did. Remember to go along to guywindsor.net forward slash podcast for the episode show notes and transcription. Also a picture of Beth holding me over her shoulders in a fireman carry which has to be seen to be believed. And you can also go along to patreon.com forward slash the sword guy to get involved with the show. Tune in next week when I'll be talking to Miles Cup, 
Miles is an engineer who works on Disneyland rides, which is exactly as cool as it sounds. And he applies his engineering knowledge to the study of historical martial arts. Our conversation gets into the weeds in all sorts of areas of mechanics and... I don't want to spoil it, but... (laughs) I mean, it, it goes from literally from Disneyland to Pompeii. So don't miss it. So subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcast from. And while you're there, if you would rate it or even review it, that would be extremely helpful. And all it costs you is a moment of your time, but it helps spread the word about the show. So if you enjoy it, please help other people to find it so they can enjoy it too. I look forward to seeing you next week.